Hi, this is the See You Next Tuesday podcast. We have dirty words and shit potholes throughout the entire episode. Our name literally spells cunt. How could you not know what was coming? Thanks for listening. Welcome to the absolute worst episode of the See You Next Tuesday podcast. I'm Jesse. I'm sad, Amanda. Do you want to say why you're sad, Amanda? My daughter broke my heart. She broke your heart. How'd she break your heart? I don't know. She got some weird fucking piercing that I think looks stupid. I have to whisper because she can hear me. So if you don't know, the kids are home from college and there was a new piercing scene and normally it's chill, it's whatevs, but this one in particular, Amanda was not a fan of. So it looks so fucking stupid. (laughs) Anyway, we digress. (laughs) We're excited to come at you in another episode every Tuesday. Um, Yeah. Thank you all so much for listening, subscribing, following us, TikTok, Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, and God, YouTube. Um, if this is your first episode, I promise, go listen to the other ones. We're normally, I'm normally way funnier than I'm going to be this episode. Rays of sunshine, you know, definitely. Come after the pod daughter. It's all her fault. All right. Well, like we could talk about um, stupid things that we got when we were late teens, early 20s. Um, my first tattoo, ready for this, mm-hmm. was a little star on my abdomen. Um, actually, I wanted three stars. And I went to a place where it was like 60 bucks. Well, to be fair, back in the day, all tattoos were like 60 bucks. That's true. But now with inflation, they're more. Yeah, and if you are getting a tattoo for 60 bucks, don't depending on the place if it's a special, different, but yeah, it can don't. You might live with a regret is what we're saying. I'm saying turn around and walk out the door. Yeah. So, but at the time, I was like, "Oh, that's a lot of money." So, I was like, "Okay, yeah, it's fine. It's my first tattoo. This is what I want, whatever. Got it got it done, like or started to get it done, and the tattoo artist was like, "Hey, I'm just going to add these little like swirls behind it. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I'm oh, okay. You know, again, not finding my voice. I was 18 at best. You know what I mean? Um, and I was like, uh, okay. And they started to go in and I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want that. And he just kept going. And I was like, yeah, okay. I'm good. I'm good. You can stop. And so when he stopped, I had one star And it was like, kind of looked like a shooting star with like these like little streams behind it, but it's not what I wanted. And I'm like, bro, is this your body or mine? Like, are you, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you were tattooing yourself and you're like, let me just add this happy cloud here. That's fine. It's your body. But this is my body and it's permanent on me. So he was being the Bob Ross of tattoo artists. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, no, not, no, thank you. So anyway... That one got covered up by a bird, (laughs) but my first one was much like, you know, the first time with sex, just awkward, weird, not exactly what I wanted, but it wasn't horrible. And it kept me coming back for more. Yeah. My first one was a daisy. 
Mm. On my shoulder. Mm-hmm. I got it when I was... Well, I wanted to get one at 18. But I had this boyfriend who didn't like tattoos. And I was like, fine. I won't get one out of respect for you. And then we broke up. And I got a tattoo. And then he informed me I was a tattooed whore. Oh, he said that to you? Uh-huh. Oh. Oh, like he could only see me now. Would he go, what's that shit on your arm? He would probably say, hey, what'd that dude say to me? When I oh, oh, you got something on your arm. Uh-huh. That's what it was. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love that. Mm-hmm. Fuck that guy. Fuck all those guys. Yeah, right? Do you still have it? What? Did you cover it up? You still have it. The daisy. I still have it. Look. <gasps> what? I'm rarely, I rarely get to see this thing. Oh, yeah. You know what? It looks good. It looks good. This is some good work. Yeah. Better than the work I got done. That's for fucking sure. It was like 90 bucks. Oh, yeah. Damn. That's an expensive tattoo. And counting for inflation, that's like a $300 tattoo now. So, shit. Good job on your first one. Thank you. So, yeah, that's not bad. I got it on 6th Street. True Blue? Forbidden... Was there a forbidden something? I think so. I think so. Vaguely remembering this. Austinites, help us. Um, yeah, I mean, and obviously there's a ton of, like, tattoo shops down on 6th Street because, I mean, drinking, tattoos, I mean, oh, tourist area. Y'all, if you're serious about your tattoo, do not drink before you get your tattoo. No, don't. Don't be drunk. Do not be drunk at all. Now, having a drink or being high in some way, like, you know, to chill yourself out, different. But don't be you know, hammered and then decide, oh, I'm gonna get, you know, cause you're going to wake up going, what? <laughs> no, it's not even about like making a bad decision, but it also fucks up the healing process. Yeah, that's true. Cause you can bleed more easily. Um, and yeah, and, and your skin reacts differently and the tattoo artist may actually stop if you're that messed up. So you don't want a half done tattoo either. Yeah. But that's interesting. I mean, it's not like I know things or anything. You know what? Uh, what? Forbidden fruit. I was going to say forbidden fruit, but I yeah. stopped after forbidden because I'm like, there's no way it was forbidden fruit. Yeah, it sure was. Um, it was on 6th Street. It is closed now, unfortunately. But yeah, it was there as of, oh, on Yelp, the last review was from like 2007. Wow. So a while. Yeah, I got my first one in 2007, right before they closed. Yep. <laughs> when I was 18. When you were 18. Mm-hmm. Correct. Mm-hmm. 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 Facts. <laughs> See? You're funny as hell. You're fine. Everything's going to be fine. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have any announcements today or anything that you want to talk about? You know what I did? And then I got way distracted with other things in my heels before um, we started recording. <laughs> and now I don't remember what it was. Oh, so remember how I talked about we were going to have a new segment, things that we bought on Instagram? <gasps> yes. I did buy something new. I don't have it yet. Do you want to say what it is? you want to wait? I want to wait. Okay, so stay tuned. Our Instagram purchase segment will come back as soon as it arrives. And it is not the dress with the shorts. Oh, you didn't buy that? No, because here's why. 
I saw a picture, like they they put up new pictures, and the shorts looked real, mm, not good quality. Okay. I was like, $40 for a dress, and those look like they're going to fall apart in the first wash. Not for me. No. Instead, I bought something way better. Oh, my God. Now I'm excited. Is it a Moon Pal? One of those, like, little plushies that you hold? I want a Moon Pal so bad. (sighs) But those are going to wait because those are our support plushies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For whenever we have to write these episodes sometimes. Maybe that'll be our Christmas gift. Oh. Hmm. No, this is going to be real good. Well, stay tuned for that. Um, on my end, nothing new. You know. You I'm boring. I mean, I'm boring. It's just my life is a shit show. <laughs> oh, I did. Okay. I did. I do know where the exit to get out of the Amanda show is. Mm. Um, cause y'all won't tell me. I figured it out on my own cause I'm smart. So this show is going to be canceled real fucking soon. As soon as I figure <laughs> out how to get in the building when nobody's there. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell y'all where it is cause you'll move the exit. <laughs> I actually was like waiting. I'm like, is she going to say? Or? No, because you'll move the exit. You you'll don't want the, it pe- up. the powers of me to know that you know. Oh, they'll still move it. Yeah. Shit. Yeah, they know you know. Shit. Yeah, see, this is the problem with the Truman Show is you have to keep it on the inside. Shit. Mm-hmm. And you know who was in that? One of our trophy dads, Jim Carrey. Shit. Yeah. Jim Carrey. <laughs> Call me. Dude, he can't figure it out either. I mean, have you seen some of the stuff he's been tweeting and, and stuff lately? Yeah, he's we're, he's just as confused and a mess as all of us, unfortunately. I need to... Now I need to figure out where they moved it because I mentioned to my husband the other day and you I figured out where the exit was. So I know they've already moved it. Yep. So you went off this crazy train as soon as possible. I think we all yeah. do, man. It's been... Yeah. It's hot. Beginning of summer. Ready to just be. Exist. a baby yeah i heard that too there's no babies that was weird you think that's the tricky spirit that oh actually let's talk about that oh the tricky spirit i do want to talk about that because i've been thinking about this the spirit in your house and it's not a it's not a nefarious spirit no no it's more like a loki very mischievous um tell us what has been going on that's the only thing that happened no, you said that there's been some other times when the cat's been kind of like... Oh, the cat wiggity. just like jumps up in the air at things we can't see. That's it. I mean... Yeah. That's it. That's the only thing. That and then there was that mysterious plastic piece that was in my headphone. Yeah. Adapter. So we've moved podcasting to one home for the time being because it's just easier. And there's like, I mean, USB, you plug into the computer, normal shit, whatever. But I was plugging in Amanda's mic and it wouldn't go in. And I'm like, what in the hell? And there was a plastic piece. I do not know. We don't know what it's from. We don't know what it's to. Nothing has been broken off. Like, we've checked the other USB ports around here. And there's nothing broken off. And nobody had been in this room since the last time we had recorded. And we're like, where in the world did this come from? And we had to remove it with tweezers and everything. But point is, it's like, 
Maybe it's the little mischievous ghost that lives in your house. I don't I'm, know, maybe. I'm going to sage it away. Are, are we going to do sage? Well, I was going to do it today while everybody was gone, but I thought they were going to be gone like all day. Mm. And, and here they show up. New piercings in tow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let's let's do this. Let's make you... Make me happy with a man cunt. I, I, I don't know if it will. This guy's a, a delight in his own way, I guess. So today, I'm going to do a murderer that... I didn't know much about, but like when I, I was actually gonna do somebody different completely, but whenever I was looking other people up, cause I was like, I wasn't feeling my guy. I found this one and it's, the name sounds familiar. So I'm going to need your help on this because much like the last episode when I was like, I don't know who the hell that is. You may be like, oh yeah. Where have you been these I'm past three years? I'm so upset because I was so proud of myself. No, you should be. That's phenomenal. I'm the one with the deficit, not you. So... Let's get into it. All right, bring it on. Christian Longo was raised a very strict Jehovah's Witness, born on January 23rd, 1974, in Michigan. According to a BBC article, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus or Jehovah claimed that his kingdom was no part of the world and that the end times could come at any time. Because of this, they should keep themselves separate from the secular world and refrain from political involvement in order to be part of the chosen to then be taken to heaven, the 144,000. They believe this, and also they do not believe in blood transfusions because of Bible verses that basically say that blood means life and is sacred to God. So essentially, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that you should always be ready for the end days, and if you're not, you're excommunicated. And also, if you're not helping other people come into the fold then you're not doing your job as a Jehovah's Witness. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm giving that baseline just to say this is what he grew up with and was very much the bedrock of his life. Um, we'll see how, how hard he holds to those teachings as we get into this. He was trained to go door-to-door to promote their beliefs and to be honest, there really wasn't much else about his childhood. I mean, it was basically like a court TV article that said like, oh, I was a happy kid. You know, I grew up well, you know, I was never hurt or beat or anything like that. It was just kind of a regular life. He met Mary Jane uh, Baker at the church and they were married when she was 19. He was 25 in 1993. They moved to Waldport, Oregon. He had various jobs in retail, etc. while she raised their three children, Madison, Sadie and Zachary. Mary Jane was active in the church and they would do like jigsaw puzzles together as a family and they would go uh, sailing. I mean, overall, pretty regular family involved in church. So nothing nefarious, right? Christian became the manager of a newspaper distribution company, then started his own construction subcontracting business and all was well in their eight years of marriage. Only eight years? The end. Yay. Okay. My trophy dad is... As we all know, that's the farthest from the fucking end. (laughs) In fact, Christian was up to his eyeballs in debt and crime. Well, I mean, if he was a good criminal, then he wouldn't be in debt because he could get money. How all criminals do with like criminal things. Yeah. So here's how he got 
to where he was involved in crime. Ooh, did he steal money from the Jehovah's Witnesses? No, but he did steal money from one of his jobs to buy Mary Jane a three-carat diamond wedding ring after he put it on a payment plan. So if you already put this three-carat ring, which, holy shit, that's a fucking huge ring, on a payment plan and you still can't afford it, maybe don't buy the ring. Just a thought. I was just thinking I was peanut butter and jelly over that ring. <laughs> yeah, no shit. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, ooh, three carrots? Damn, son. I'm like, mm, I'm, right? I don't have looking, three carrots. Mm, I could use a few more. <laughs> I mean, you could add some carrots to that bad boy. <laughs> Call me Bugs Bunny. Um, so, but he stole the money from his, like, current, his company or wherever he was working out of the register to pay for it. So there's that. Straight from the register? Yeah. Bro, they're going to notice that yeah. right away. Yeah. So you got to do some, like, Really smart, embezzling type shit. Right. Christian also bought a jet ski, a boat, was trying to buy all this big, massive shit that he could not afford. Multiple different articles I read was said that he was like, he had odd jobs, like he worked at Starbucks. And one said that he worked at like, um, like I said, that um, paper newspaper distribution company. And then he was like, okay, I'm going to try to start my subcontracting business. Basically, he's trying to live outside his means so he, all the time. He basically had no steady job, but he was buying boats and jet skis. Those are red flags, dude. Yes. This, and also, before his wife got pregnant with Zach, they both worked. And then she became a stay-at-home mom, which is fine. It's a very hard job, which I totally get why she wanted to stay at home with her kid. And then she had two more, so they got three kids. So yeah, stay at home, get it. But then he, this put more pressure, quotes, on him to make ends meet. Now, yes, that's true. But in, in a normal situation, y'all would have a conversation about it and go, okay, this is what we can and cannot afford. Here's our budget. Here's this. Here's that. You handle these responsibilities. I handle these. Instead, he's like, oh, I guess I got to do everything now. And like kind of doing this whole victimhood type attitude about it. When it's like, dude, you chose for me to stay home. Like, it's not like. Yeah, I just get told not to buy certain stuff. Right. <laughs> like, or it's outside. I get told, mm, can you just wait till Friday when you right. have pain? And I'm like, Psh, that's like tomorrow. Fine. I guess I can wait one day delivery. <laughs> so he's like, hey, girl. <laughs> Here's how much we, money we have for the month. We can spend X, Y, Z on fun things and then food and then bills and then this and that. That's why he's telling you, hey, yeah, hold off on this. Yeah, okay on this. It's not to like control you or tell you, hey, woman, this is what we're supposed to do. It's just like, no, he handles the bills and you're like, okay, cool. Just let me know how much I can spend on blank. Yeah. Right? Thanks. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. No, but, it's not. No. Okay. By every Cunties. My husband does not control this. Nobody can control this. It is a... She's pointing to herself, by the way. The, all this. <laughs> it is a... I have no much. I have no idea how much money we have, so I just say, hey, can I buy a dress? And he's like, yeah, you can. Or, hey, we got to pay the mortgage, so do you think you can just hold off on that? I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. And it's just because that's the relationship y'all have established from the get. Y'all have trust and safety in the relationship, and that's how it should be. In and if this at case, any, and if at any point I said, "Hey, 
can you show me how to do the bills or show me how much money we have? He'd be like, yes, please, here, do the bills. Yeah, he'd be like, please take this off my shoulders and what's yeah. his responsibility? Yeah. Yeah. But so, but, and again, that's what should be happening, mm-hmm. but it is not. Not only that, this dude was caught cheating by Mary Jane via an email she found, which she took to the church. Oh, and so then she left him because she was like, fuck this. I ain't gonna be with no cheater. No. She stayed with him. Yes. I knew that. I was just really I know. hoping. I know. Here's hoping. The church disfellowshed him, disfellowshipped him, excuse me, and he had accumulated, from what I read on a couple different reports, around $25,000 in credit card debt, and then eventually pawned her ring, the three-carat one, to make ends meet. Oh, for like... 85% less than yeah. what he paid for it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So he's doing all these petty crimes, in other words, to keep up appearances, to pay these bills that he's making for the family. So, like, it's not like they need a jet ski. In fact, like, the jet ski thing was, like, from what I read, like, he said that he, like, he told his um, church members and family and friends, like, oh, I won it. I won this and I won a boat. Like, nobody is that fucking lucky, man. Who wins that much shit? I, he thought he could, he thought he was the smartest person in the room. So after his car was repossessed, he created a fake driver's license to go on a test drive for a car only to steal it. Um, so. So he could have a car. And obviously um, he got caught because. They take your driver's license copy of your driver's license and insurance when you I mean drive a it was car. a fake driver's license but even still your face was it's, just in front of another person who just saw your fucking face and goes it's that guy oh by the way this guy drove off with our car license plate blah 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 you know what I'm saying like it's a dealer car what year was this um 90 early 90s Oh, so there wasn't like OnStar then? No, no. Because I was about to say, you know what the dealer, the first thing the dealership is going to do is activate the fucking OnStar to find their car. There you go. Exactly. Nowadays, that's practically impossible to do. Yeah, because that's impossible. the first thing they're going to do. Right. But even then, he was caught. Um, however, like a first offense, you know, so they're like, mm, you know, whatever. Um, and they gave him probation and a fine. Of course they did. And Christian, not being that smart, he moved the family to Toledo, Ohio, a violation of his parole. Dude. It's okay. As we learned last time, if you go further than you're supposed to, nobody cares. Apparently. So, December 19th, 2001, a little boy's body was discovered floating in the marina in Waldaport, Oregon, where it turned out to be Zachary Longo. He was identified via an artist sketch by a neighbor. And then December 27th, the body of Sadie Longo was found nearby by divers weighed down underwater, as well as two suitcases containing the remains of Mary Jane and Madison. Just so you know that the the dates around this were a little squidgy when I was doing research. So, but this was like the most consistent date was December 27th. The fact that he did this around a high time of anxiety, Christmas season, mm-hmm. makes sense to me. You know what, though? Jehovah's Witnesses don't celebrate the holidays. That's true. You're right. No holidays, no birthdays. Mm-hmm. So, but even still, 
I, I don't, you know what? Now I'm, I'm, now I'm curious, but do they observe the Christian Christmas? No, not even. No. Huh. Interesting. So then it's an arbitrary date for him. He doesn't really go. Correct. Okay. Correct. Interesting. Thank you. I was just curious. I'm like, cause for me, like, okay, the pressure's high. Christmas gifts are coming. Shit. I got to buy all this. You know what I mean? They, they don't do that. Yeah. Okay. So autopsies reveal that Sadie and Zachary were killed by asphyxiation and Madison and Mary Jane were strangled. And, and fortunately, this is horrendous to say, but if Zachary had not been found, experts say that they may have never found any of the bodies because of the tide in the area. So we got the whole family, but you know, somehow Christian's missing. So where is Christian? On December 27th, the day they were pulling his body's families out of the marina, Christian was in Cancun. His family's bodies. Uh-huh. And recognized at a hotel there because the cops and FDI had put him on the 10 most wanted list. The next day, they issued an arrest warrant in Oregon for aggravated murder and unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. January 2002, he left his hotel, traveled to Tulum, 80 miles south of Cancun, where he was finally caught and taken back to the U.S. on January 14th, 2002. I thought it was hard to get somebody back to the U.S. from Mexico. Um, they, they extradite. They don't give a shit. It's like Venezuela, Chile, Argentina. A couple others, are, they don't extradite. But I thought, it was, I thought it was hard. Oh, maybe it's if you're in jail there. Maybe. He was, a, he was a wanted fugitive, so the FBI called. This is what I'm not including here, but what I read was the FBI called Mexican authorities and said, hey, we got this guy. He's in, the, in and around this area. Can you just... APB it just keep an eye out bolo be on the lookout yeah. and um a tourist or somebody was like hey there's this guy this hotel looks kind of like him and that's how I found him maybe it's if you're in the Me- in a Mexico prison like for a crime in Mexico and crime in the U.S. maybe it's hard to get from Mexico to U.S. maybe that's what it is yeah I actually am not sure but you're right because like remember whenever they were trying to get El Chapo back but doesn't that sound it sounds familiar yeah yeah, not sure all the extradition rules, but yeah. In this case, luckily, everything worked till they brought him back to the U.S. Like, really, dude? Really? You thought you were going to get away with this? Like, come on. I mean, personally, I think they should have left him in Mexico and let Mexico handle him. I agree. Mexican prison is a perfect punishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He started trial in March 2003, and <gasps> he only took responsibility for killing Madison and Mary Jane, saying, you're going to love this one, that Mary Jane killed the other two kids because Sadie, uh, other two kids, Sadie and Zachary, like he saw, he he basically said at trial, like she said, I put them in the water. And then he was so mad that he strangled her and oh, he didn't know what to do. God, what a dick. So he did the Chris Watts defense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that stellar human being. Ugh. So before he was tried, he wrote a love letter to another inmate, Jennifer Musket, which is one of the dumbest fucking things I've ever heard in my life if this guy's trying to get off not looking guilty. He wrote a love letter to an inmate? Yeah. Why didn't he just do the toilet talking? Um, I guess because, you know, she was a woman and... And I don't know if she was in a woman's prison or a different part of the jail, but, you know, this is pre-trial situation where I'm assuming he didn't get, you know, bonded out. So, but still, it's just like, 
Well, they toilet what? talk to the opposite sex in jail. How do they do that? Because there's a women's prison and a man's prison. So at the count, some of the county jails, they alternate floors, mm-hmm. men's floors, women floors. And so um, they drain the water out of their toilet and then they can roll up a piece of paper and use the plumbing to talk to the people on the floor below them. So some of prisons are floor by floor gendered. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Girl, you need to watch more prison shows. Dude, They're on Netflix. Ugh, I can't. I don't know what it is. I just get so cringed out. I can't do it. I, I love. Cannot. I love prison shows. Ugh. That's why I'm like, why isn't he toilet talking to her? And why is he writing her a letter, not toilet talking? I don't. Because he's an idiot. Because he's an idiot. We learned something today. I toilet learned a talk. lot today. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. So, um, and I don't know, shock among shocks, but he was convicted and sentenced to death in April of 2004. Many years later, in 2011, he finally admitted to being a narcissist and that he did actually kill his whole family. And no shit, dude. He said that he did it because, quote, I was going to make it and I was going to make it big. But then when his life started to go to shit from all his overspending, he saw that this was the only solution. No, murder is never the answer. Zero knives for you, sir. Also in 2011, he filed a request to marry one of his female pen pals, which he said later was a prank to prove that the corrections department always denies his requests. Hilarious. You're so funny. So you're going to pretend like you want to marry one of your female prison pen pals after you just murdered your entire family. I mean, that's what they do. Hilarious. Uh-huh. This shitbird, unfortunately, is still alive and serving life in Oregon after the moratorium on executions in Oregon State in 2011. And, corresponding to our Patreon video killer series, the movie True Story, with James Franco and Jonah Hill, was based on Christian Longo's crimes. Hmm. And the reason why it's so short and so boring is because, guess what? Murder's fucking boring. And you're boring if you're thinking about it. I think that we had a pretty good laugh in the middle. The laugh in the middle was great. Um, But, I mean, let's be real. What a fucking shithead. Like, this whole family annihilator crap, this is part of the reason why I don't like doing them is because I'm just like, this is such a, the stupidest way out. Like, you were literally, and then they think they're smarter than everybody else. Like, Chris Watts, for instance. Here's the thing, though. You saw that entire thing. You saw his neighbor go, like, something's not right. Like, here's the bro. thing, though. Women do the exact same fucking thing. Oh, I know. I'm not saying it's They're a man or woman. They're just as disgusting. Oh, for sure. I'm just like, but how is this... Not just, like, how is murder ever an option? Because, you know, I can understand being fucking so frustrated with somebody. Right? Yeah. I, I know can, that feeling. But... I can understand murder if somebody kills your kids. Yes. That's a very understandable thought. But do you carry it out? No. I would. Well... I, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. <laughs> but no, but this thing is like, I, I guess for me, it's like, how do you do a whole family? Your significant other, yeah, fine, crime of passion, I'm not here for it, I don't agree with it, that I can like, okay, fine, you want to get him out of the way. But your whole, what do you just start and you're like, well, now I got to finish it. Like, what the fuck, man? Because you have mental health issues, but I want to point something out. Yet another one connected to religion. 
Yes. And that's actually why I left it in and why I wanted to kind of touch base on at the beginning. This is what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Now, that's not to say that every Jehovah's Witness is a murderer. No, they no, are not. I have a coworker that's Jehovah's Witness. I love her death. She's yep. sweet as pie. 100%. In fact, I want to talk to her more about her religion because I want to know more about it because I kind of think it's real culty. But I'm scared that I'm going to, she's going to try to indoctrinate me if I initiate the conversation. Yeah. If you listen to Leah's podcast, they actually do interview Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, I have, I haven't had a time to listen to any podcast lately, but they had a whole episode of her show. On, yeah, the Jehovah's Witnesses. And mm-hmm. just so you know, we're talking about the aftermath of Leah Remini, um, which if you've not watched it, you need to. Please go and support what she's trying to do, uh, which is dismantle an entire cult, cult from the inside out that claims to be a religion. <clears throat> and it's, it's, it's extremely hard, even with her platform, to do so. But you're right. They did have an entire episode on Jehovah's Witnesses. And the reason why they did was because Jehovah's Witnesses were coming to them and yes. saying, please cover this. This yes. is craziness. Yes. They've had to disassociate from family, from their kids, mm-hmm. from their friends. Like it, they're ripping people apart from each other. Um, and granted, as we just said, it's not everybody, but just know, just, just get a full picture is what we're trying to say. Just know everything about mm-hmm. things. So I have something unpodcast related. I have some more sad breaking news. Oh my God. Why no. do I always have to? I don't know. What, why? I need you to hold on tight for this, y'all. Okay. Britney Spears lost her baby. <gasps> no. No, she didn't. Mm-hmm. What did she say? Um, this, oh, it went away. It was a, I think an E! News on Instagram reporting that. She lost her baby. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, honey. She's been through so much. I don't know if she posted about it or not. So it says... It is with our deepest sadness we have to announce that we have lost our miracle baby early in the pregnancy. It is a devastating time for any parent. Perhaps we should have waited to announce until we were further along. However, we were overly excited to share the good news. Our love for each other is our strength. We will continue trying to expand our beautiful family. We are grateful for you all for all your support. We kindly ask for privacy during this difficult moment. No, oh, honey. That's on her Instagram. So sorry, Brittany and family. That's so awful. I know she's been through so much and that was such a ray of hope for her, you know, because that was the one thing in her trial that she was saying she always wanted was a child to have and a baby again. Sam commented on her post, we will have a miracle soon. Red heart emoji. Which Sam is this? Her fiance. Okay. Not the other dickhead Sam. That no, was no, no, okay. no, no. Lefty or whatever the fuck. I was like, no. that motherfucker better not. No, this is okay. her fiance. Her fiance replied on her Instagram post. Yeah, yeah. Poor Brit. Hon, we're thinking of you. So sorry. So first I have to bring the Naomi Judd news. Yeah. A couple episodes ago. Now Brittany. Now I have to bring this. What? I'm going to stop picking up my phone in the middle of episodes. Yeah. Well, take us away from Kristen Longo's idiocracy. And sad Britney news. Yes, please. So, have you ever heard of Edward Kiyoki Mabo? He also goes by Eddie, Kiyoko, or Mabo. 
No. So I might refer to him as one or all, or all those things okay. in the story. Cool. So he was born June 29th, 1936 in at Los Anmar in the Murray Islands group of islands in Queensland, Australia. Yay, I went out of the U.S. I'm so happy you're in Australia. One of my favorite I actually places the leave world. the U.S. all the time. You like to stay there. No, I've been to Canada quite a bit. And Australia. And Australia. I don't know why. I'm just, I like, go vibing. weird places. You do go to weird places in the U.S. Like, what was that one? You went to like... Japan? You, you did go to Japan. So yeah, you have gone all, all over the world. You went to Italy. Japan. France. France. Um... Poland for a star mom. Yep. I don't know where else yeah. I went. Anywho, who needs a passport when you can listen to our <laughs> podcast? There you go. Save y'all some money. Mm-hmm. I'm a penny pincher. So he was the fourth surviving child of Murray Island residents Robert Zeeson Sambo and Annie Pipe Mambo. Um... Kyogi's mom died five days after he was born. And so per local island customs, he was adopted by his maternal aunt and uncle. Oh, I love that. But I, why couldn't you stay with his dad? I don't know. But if that's how their culture does things, that's how they do it. I know. I'm just... It, it makes me sad for his dad. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they allow his dad his life. I'm, I'm would sure. Assume. I'm yeah. sure. It just... Yeah, I gotcha. So, of course, um, as a kid, living on an island, he farmed and fished. You know, he learned and he lived his Murrian culture. His first language it was Murrian. I guess that's how you say it. It's M-E-R-I-A-N. Murrian. Yeah, we'll go with that. Murrian. You can please correct us, of course, but that's how we're going to say it. We just aren't really sure. Um, he also spoke Torres Strait Islander Creole and English. So he spoke three languages. He was, you know, obviously intelligent. His first two jobs were as a teacher's aide and as an interpreter for a medical research team in the Torres Strait. Um, but because he was fluent in English, this always gave him, he found himself in leadership positions when he was in groups of white Australians. Oh, okay, because he could speak their language. Mm-hmm. And being a native, that's a, a distinct advantage. Yeah, okay. That's awesome. Yeah. But unfortunately, on February 2nd, 1956, um, Kiyoki was found guilty of drinking alcohol. And unfortunately, community bylaws say... When you drink alcohol, you have to be exiled. <gasps> By his community? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. So the Murray Islands Court exiled him for a year. And so he was working aboard fishing vessels. And then in 1957, he became um, a cane cutter. Oh, like sugar cane? Uh-huh. Oh, that's hard work. And a railway fettler. That's the person that maintains the railway lines by sanding and grinding the imperfections of the metal and ceramic. What? Oh, so like the actual rails? The tracks? Uh Uh-huh. There's a person who does that? Well, I mean, not now, but in 1957, yes. That's awesome. 
So oh, cool. So he was living in Queensland while he was doing all that because of his exile. Ex- exile. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So October 10th, 1959, um, he married a South Sea Islander um, named Ernestine Bonita Nettie Nihau at the Methodist Church in Ingham. And so during the 60s, he got involved with trade union politics and began mingling more with the white people. And he became more comfortable with public speaking um, because he was, you know, dealing with politics and Mm -hmm. doing more of that jazz. So at this time, he was also appointed a union representative for the Torres Strait Islanders. On the Townsville Mounts Isla Rail Reconstruction Project. So from 1962 to 1967, he worked for the Townsville Harbor Board. And then he became the Islander representative for the Trades and Labor Council. So he's really turned his life around. From being exiled for drinking alcohol, which I think is a little silly. Because it doesn't sound like... He was, it could have been worse. We also cover a lot of people that do a lot worse things uh-huh, and don't uh-huh, get any uh-huh, punishment. Uh-huh. So, but also think of the time, maybe back then, and it might be the same today, but their culture was very strict on it. So yes. I can see, I can understand. Yeah. So, so, you know, he got married and now he's into politics yeah. and he's serving all these um, different councils and boards and um, things like that. So now he's become the leader in indigenous politics. Um, he's serving as the secretary of the Aborigines Advanced League in Queensland. He did that from 62 to 69. He was also involved in a campaign for yes vote in 1967. It was a referendum to remove discriminatory references to Aboriginal people from the Constitution. I love that. <laughs> In, yeah, in 1967. That's vastly uh, progressive for the time. It's progressive now. Mm-hmm. Yes. He helped organize an interracial conference titled We the Australians, What It Is to Follow the Referendums. And the conference showed him that he could find supporters for the Aboriginal and Islanders advancement among um academics you know mm. the ad- people in like yeah like different places yeah. than than him and and just being able to go out there and be have a seat at the table yes is huge yes so then he started um giving occasionally giving guest lectures to students at Townsville College of Advancement Education in James Cook University. And then in 1967, he actually became the gardener at the university, so he's able to lecture more because then he had more um, connections there. And while he was at the university, he would sometimes sit in on lectures, and he regularly used his lunch hour to study A.C. Haddon, six volumes of Reports of the Cambridge 
anthropological expedition to Torres Straits. So in 1970, he became the president of the All Black Council for the Rights of Indigenous People. Yes. So he was, what his main concern was that his children were beginning to lose their language and their cultural traditions. Um, And Harry Penrith, he set up the Black Community School of Townsend in 1973. And so, um, well... Eddie with Henry Penrith. They set up the Black Community School of Townsend in 1973. And he also served as the director until 1985. And this all led to his involvement in the to, with the National Aboriginal Education Committee from 75 to 78, as well as the Australian Institute of Aboriginal Studies Educational Advisory Committee from 78 to 79. So he is... Like, I'm not going to play with this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to serve on every board committee there is. I'm going to change things. Yeah. And so not only was he serving on boards and councils that were political and had to do with the politics for change for Aboriginal people, he was also... A member of the Australian Council for the Arts for four years because he was a talented performer in the Torres Strait Islander music and dance community. Whoa. He could dance and sing too? Yeah. Dude, chill. Triple threat. (laughs) He was was president of the Yombo Meta Housing Association. And what they did, they... um, acquired houses in Townsville using Commonwealth funds and rented them to indigenous tenants. Okay. I remember this from my Joyce Clegg episode. Um, do you remember her? Trophy mm-hmm. mom, same, similar idea, but female. Uh-huh. Um, and I think actually she came from a similar culture. I, I, I don't want to say it's the exact same one as him, but maybe close. And um, the heart of her thing was to give them the land back to. Right them so they're basically going hey we know we've disenfranchised an entire people here's some places to live right they bought the houses using their their the government funds funds and they're renting them to the indigenous people great phenomenal idea and so by now he's working for the commonwealth employment service as an assistant vocational officer so now he's helping people Find jobs. I'm going to ask a question. Sir, where do you find the time? Sir, where do you find the time? Sir, where do you find the energy? <laughs> that, that too. Good God. So then he found out in the early 80s that him and the other Murray Islanders were not the legal owners of the land inherited under the Merriam custom and tradition and that instead it was crown land. So he was absolutely shocked. And so as a chairman of the Townsville Treaty Committee, um, him and some other people, they joined forces with the James Cook University Students Union to stage a conference on land rights and the future of the Australian race relations in 81. 
the conference attracted lawyers and other people that are familiar with anything that had to do with indigenous rights, both domestic and internationally. So, um, after he gave his presentation, a gentleman named H.C. Nugget Combs. Nice. First of all, you trust anybody that goes by the name Nugget. Yep. What a great name. H.C. Nugget Combs. He encouraged him and the other Merriam people to take the case to the High Court of Australia to establish who actually owned their land. This is land that they thought they had always owned. They yeah. always lived on. And they'd passed it, their little pieces of property down to from generation family, to generation. Yeah. Thinking, we've lived here for how long? Ever? Before y'all came? So yeah, it's ours. Makes sense. So on May 20th, 1982, Kiyoki and several other um, people started proceedings... In the high court against the state of Queensland and the Commonwealth. While the Queensland government, you know what they did? They introduced legislation that designed to retrospectively cancel any native title that might exist. Ah, they worked actively against it. Mm Mm-hmm, of course they did. Wow. The Queensland Coast Islands Declaration Act of 1985 was subsequently challenged... By Kiyoki and his colleagues in the high court. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I mean, you no have shit. To, like, what the fuck? You can't do that. What the fuck? <laughs> Murder might be the answer now. <laughs> Jeez. I'm just saying. December 8th, 1988, the court found in favor of Kiyoki. Thank you. They, Australia. Thank you. Thank you, you, Australia. If you didn't have such scary creatures, I might come visit you. <laughs> The ruling um, that the Queensland law breached the Commonwealth's Racial Discrimination Act of 1975. You think? This judgment became known as the Mambo versus Queensland Number 1. In 1986, the High Court had passed the original land claim case to the Supreme Court of Queensland to determine the facts. The Supreme Court handed its findings to the court in 1990. Justice Martin Mayonhan determined that on the basis of evidence, Kiyoki had not been adopted by Benny and Mianga Mambo. He considered Mambo's legal right to inherit land to have been based on individual rather than native title. So basically, he's like, you weren't adopted by them, so this land isn't doesn't even fall under the native rules because you're not their child because it wasn't a quote-unquote legal adoption oh get out of here with that trash i mean is there really we're gonna do semantics now just because i was raised by me my my aunt and my fucking uncle makes you go well but they weren't really just because on our teeny island and our teeny community we don't have teeny community lawyers to perform legal adoptions. Right. They're basically going like, well, you know, sucks to suck guy and like using a loophole. What a douche move. If he couldn't prove that there was a legal adoption, then he had no claim to the land. And um, it brought his claim to an end. Mm. And so there were 
other original plaintiffs, um, and there were only two left to present their evidence. And one died and one withdrew his claim. Mm. So of the original five, only two remained because the other two, one had died, the other had um, withdrawn his claim. So the hearings began on in May of 91, and the verdict ruled in favor of community entitlements rather than individual claims and was delivered on June the 3rd, 1992. So Mambo versus Queenland number two overturned the doctrine known as Terra Nullius, land belonged to no one, and paved the way for the Commonwealth Native Title Act of 1993. And Kiyoki's role in this landmark judgment was summed up by Brian Keon Cohen, junior counsel for both cases. Without Eddie Mambo, there was no case. So, during the um, previous decade, Eddie had pursued different lines of education and employment. And so, from 81 to 84, he was enrolled in an Aboriginal and Islander teacher education program at the Townsville College of Advanced Education. But he did not finish his course. Um, This dude, he just, like, dipped his toe in the water of everything yeah trying new things it's like he's like i'm gonna try pottery today and he got halfway through the pot and was like "Mm, i don't like this and then on his way home he's like i'm gonna go to michael's and get some yarn and knitting eagles and he got home and he started fourth of a scarf he's like "Mm, this sucks yeah you know find what you like you don't know until you try it so maybe you know he's trying a couple things like okay i like this Uh, not on this one So what happened? So he helped pave the way for this incredible bill or law, actually, that came into effect, which mm-hmm. was basically saying, like, yes, the native people are people mm-hmm. and they need their land back. And we need to do everything we can possibly do as a country to ensure that that happens. Right. So he was actually diagnosed with cancer in 1990. Oh, honey. And he did not live to hear the high court's ruling on Mambo number two. Or Mabo. I'm sorry. I've been saying Mambo the entire time. There is no M. It's Mabo. Mabo. Okay. Got it. I feel like an asshole. You get that Lou Vega song stuck in your head, girl. I'm telling you. So he had a wife and two sons, five daughters, and three adopted children. Wow. Um, he ended up passing away on January 21st, 1982. After he died... So we didn't hear the ruling of Mabo number two that they had voted, you know, in his favor. Yeah. But he fought for so many rights for so many of his people. And he's a household name and post humorously. Yeah. He won many awards. He won a Human Rights Award from the Human Rights Commission. Um, He was the Australian Newspapers, Australian of the Year. He has a memorial sculpture. Um, He has a library at James Cook University named after him. 
Um, he has a June third is known as Mabo Day. Um, he's so, an incre- incredibly important figure to the indigenous people of Queensland. Mm-hmm. And not only is he important to them, but the government mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. recognizes him, which is fucking huge to be at a a very large, what sounds like public colleges like library and have a library as an indigenous person. I don't know. And please educate me if I'm wrong. If there are any indigenous people's libraries in the United States right now, I doubt it. I so mean, this is massive. This is a big deal. To have a government, any government name a day after you. Yeah. Yes. It's a bank holiday. Oh, it's a holiday holiday. June 3rd, known as Mabo Day, has been declared a bank holiday. Wow. That's awesome. I had never heard of this guy before. That's fantastic. Oh, man. You know, it's crazy, though, because it feels like... There's a TV movie. What's it called? Mabo. Nice. It nice. was released in 2012. I'll have to check that out. What a cool trophy, Dad. Like, I think it's cool because it, it feels like his life was paving the way. Yes, you because know? He, he was necessary to get where they needed to go. He wanted a better future, not mm-hmm. just for him, not mm-hmm. just for his kids, but for everyone. Yep. Yep. And he was basically saying like, hey, we're all just humans. Just recognize us as humans. And also, if we've been living in this place for centuries, recognize that we lived here first and you know, it's our land and it's our culture. <laughs> it's like something that we ourselves have had for this amount of time. Um, that it needs to be acknowledged. And I love that. I think it, what a cool story. So thank you. Thanks for going to Australia. Someday I mean, we'll have to go to Australia. No. You don't want to go? No, big spiders. Yeah, it's fine. We live in, te- girl, we live in Texas. Our snakes are bigger. Well, are they? They may be bigger there. But point is, we got some scary ass, we got enough scary ass no, shit no, in this no. state. I think we can handle no, Australia. No, 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 no. Have you seen pictures? I I get thrown into an anxiety attack by the pictures of the size of the spiders that are there. <laughs> well, I'll ask my Australian co-worker if she herself in her apartment has run across any of those spiders. I bet you $5. The answer is yes. Well, if if she does, I'm sure her cat will take care of it. <laughs> it would eat the cat's face. But seriously, we have got to go to Australia sometime. It's actually supposed to be <clears throat> incredible. I mean, gorgeous. Bondi Beach is stupid gorgeous. But um, we got to go. No, thank you. Come on. Come with me. No, thank you. Plus, we'll be in the future. Oh, y'all. We now I know what I was going to talk about at the beginning. Please. Are you where we're going to be? This is true. It's coming up and we are in June now. So y'all have two months to plan. Um, so heads up. We are also planning kind of on. <laughs> I, we're, we're, we'll get there. We'll put it that way. But we're going to be at a podcast festival in Dallas, Fort Worth, Dallas, Dallas um, in August. And it is called. Crime con? Nope. No, nope, nope, not that big. Nope. Don't lie to the people. Just kidding. But stay tuned. We might. We're going to try to get to Crime Con. 
It is the True Crime Podcast Festival. Wow, that was so hard to remember for some reason. It is dedicated to supporting the communities we um, venture into each year. Um, and actually, there is an undernote here that we just want to highlight. The purpose of the festival is, yes, to bring all of us true crime people together, podcasters, you name it, but it's also to support and recognize the victims of these crimes, which really drew us to it. We were just like, hell yeah, because we think that that's really important, and I believe actually proceeds go to yeah, some of those. Yeah, that was actually what I just had up. Um, they have... This year's, um, you can donate to their nonprofit is Hope's Door. Mm-hmm. The mission of Hope's Door is new. Oh, Hope's Door New Beginning Center is to offer intervention and prevention services to individuals and families affected by inmate partner and family violence, and to provide education programs to enhance the community's capacity to respond yep and when are the dates for this it's um a saturday and a sunday for the public um august Ooh, gosh help me august 27th and 8th august 27th and 8th we're going to be at the dallas true crime podcast festival so feel free to join us meet us we actually are human beings and get to know some of our other true crime podcasts. And if you are a true crime podcast and you're one of our fans, heads up, we're going to be there. And also, we're probably a fan of you, so please show up so we can meet each other. <laughs> other I'm a here. fan of all of you. Seriously, we are such huge fans of our little indie podcast community here. I mean, my God. Disturbingly pragmatic. Love them. Heads up, check them out. That damn pod, Chicklet. Talking literature, the Red Dove podcast. I mean, God, we could keep going on. We could go on and on and on. And we really people. are friends with these. We people. really are. <laughs> like I message with Liz from Talking Literature at least a couple of times a week. Yeah. So heads up, you're gonna meet some phenomenal people. We know them, and they're great, and we'd love to meet y'all. So if you're in town, swing on by late in August so and stay tuned for some more um updates other places we may or may not be our ideal yes is crime con that would be so fucking cool I'm like slow your roll we're not there I yet know, I know I want to be there but this is going to be a phenomenal first step I think yeah it's going to be fun um there's going to be panel discussions live episodes We'll see what we're going to do in our capacity. Right now, we're not on a panel or anything because we're just like, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> we're like, I don't know. You want to talk about? We we could just talk about our day-to-day lives. That's what we do on a panel. <laughs> yeah, so the other day, I went to the store and, you know, like that yes. I do have great stories. I, you do actually have phenomenal stories. That's why we do it. <laughs> so anyway, we really hope that to see you there and... Thank you all so much for listening to us through over a year now of podcasting. We really appreciate it and love you all. Thanks for being Patreon subscribers as well. We have new Video Killer episodes up now. We have two new ones. No, I'm not going to tell you. Go check them out. Um, But as always, we will see you next Tuesday. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. 
You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday.